Dear Lord, thank you for the, this night you've given us, and thank you for letting us still be able to worship, even though uh, things are a little bit different, Lord. And just be with Pastor Jesse and give him the word to speak tonight, Lord, and uh, let's have a good night. And just pray, amen. How, how'd y'all like the way they changed up that simplicity song at the beginning? Y'all like that one? Are y'all awake? Yeah, so, okay, yeah, there's a little bit. All right, so, as we get started here tonight, um, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but if you remember what we talked about last week, we talked about those look at God moments, those things that you see in your life where you see God working, whether it's in big ways or small ways, and, and you just have to stop and say, wow, look at God. And I just want you to stop and think for a second, have you seen any of those this week? You don't need to answer, you don't need to raise your hand, but just think back through your week. Have there been moments, have you been intentional about looking to see where God is working in your life? Because a lot of times what happens is we get busy day to day and we just try to get through the day. And we try to get through the things that we have to do in school and sports and work and music and homework and family time for some of us. It, it's, it's a struggle to get through the day some days. And we lose sight of what God's doing. So I just want to challenge you. As you go through the rest of your night, as you go through tomorrow, look for those look at God moments to see what God is doing in your life. Because if you will look for them, you will see them. I promise you. So what book are we studying right now? Daniel. Man, y'all sound so excited. Daniel. Daniel. Mike, I can always count on Mike. I'd be excited. That's right. All right. So we're studying the book of Daniel. When do we believe the book of Daniel was written? Around the 6th century, okay. Who came in and conquered the Israelites? And what's their king's name? King Nebuchadnezzar. I love you. you got to dial it down about 10 notches, okay? Thank you. All right? King Nebuchadnezzar. How old do we think Daniel was when they came in and invaded and took over? Around 15, maybe 16. So at this point, you remember where we've been talking about, it's a couple years later. So how old is Daniel now? 17, 18, around some of you juniors and seniors. He's around that age. And we've been walking through this book so far, the first two chapters, and there's a theme that keeps popping up and it's going to continue to pop up. Do you remember what that is? God's sovereignty. Somebody tell me what God's sovereignty is. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say God is sovereign? Brock, he's in control. It's that simple. It means God is in control. That means no matter what happens in your life, whether it's great, whether it's absolutely horrible, or whether it's just the everyday mundane stuff, God is in control. And God is always working things, even when we can't see him working, even when we don't know how he's going to use our situation, we don't know how in the world this could be God's plan for our life. God is sovereign, and God is always working. In fact, there's a, there's a joke, and Cooper knows this one my, my son shared with me after working at camp all summer. Somebody would be saying something, and, and they would look at him, or he would look at him and say, do you believe God is sovereign? And when they would say yes, he would say, then shut up. Because if you really believe God is sovereign, you got no right to complain. Because God's still in control. Yeah, it may be a bad situation, but if God is sovereign, God's in control. So quit complaining and look at God. And look at what God is doing. Look at the things that he is working through and the way he's working in your life and in the lives of those around you. Now this book, we're just now getting into it. But as you go through the rest of this book, there's a lot of prophecy in this book. 
And here's the thing you need to be wary of or careful of when you're dealing with a book that has prophecy in it. There are some things when it comes to biblical prophecy that we can look at and we can clearly understand what that prophecy was talking about. There are other things that we don't have a clear picture or understanding. It's more of our educated best guess based on history, based on what scholars have studied about culture and all of these other things. And we're going to see both of those things tonight. We're going to see some things that are coming through this dream, which after 30 verses, we're finally getting into this dream of King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. We're going to see some things that are very easily understood of this is historical fact. And we're going to see some other things that scholars don't really agree on. So we kind of got to take what we see with a grain of salt. And that's what we're doing tonight as we jump into this. So I'm going to ask Micah, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. We're starting in verse 31. And tonight we're going to go all the way through 49. But I have only asked Micah to come up and read verses 31 through 38. So Miss Micah Garner, come on up here if you will read those verses for us. Y'all give it up for Miss Micah. Here is your microphone. Take it away. Wait. I get a microphone. Please stand. I almost forgot. Stand with us in honor of reading God's word and follow along with Miss Micah. Hey, don't yell into that microphone. Thank you. Go ahead. Take it away, Micah. In your vision, you, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made out of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron and its feet feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of, of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and put, has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the, you are the, head, of con, the head of gold. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come together, that we can worship, that we can learn. God, thank you that we can spend time in your word and please help us to understand what it is we're supposed to walk out of here. Why does this matter in our lives tonight? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Micah. Y'all can be seated. Y'all give it up for Ms. Micah. Hey, it's, it's, it's a stressful thing to come up in here and read. So, if anybody ever wants to do that on a Wednesday night, let me know because I would love to give you that opportunity. Are you pointing at somebody right now? He wants to? Peyton? All right. Peyton, you're next week, buddy. I'll give you the passage. What's that? No, next week. No. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We'll get with you. We'll make it work. So, right here, we've been dancing around. We've gone through chapter one, and if you remember, long story short, Babylon came in, took over Israel, took the best and the brightest, took them back to Babylon, and are basically reprogramming them. They're wiping out everything they've learned, everything they knew, and they're trying to make them Babylonians. But Daniel and his buddies take a stand. 
They resolve that they are not going to dishonor God, and they start with something simple as food from the king's table because it would not have been something that honored God. They decide they're going to honor God with their life no matter what the cost is. And they go through this time period of training and teaching, and and Scripture tells us that they come in before the king, and it says they're ten times better than all of the other people they've been there doing this with. So God is honoring what they've decided to do by being obedient to him. And now we've got this situation where the king has a dream. And the king calls all his wise men in and he says, Wise men, I need you to tell me what this this dream means because in this culture, a lot of times dreams were seen as, as something that the gods were speaking to the leaders and if they could understand those dreams, then it would guide them on what they were supposed to do to lead their people. The problem is the king doesn't just say, tell me what the dream means. The king says, Wise men, I want you to tell me what the dream was. And then I want you to tell me what the dream means. Because if they can tell him what the dream was, then they can, he can trust that they aren't making stuff up when they tell him the meaning. And all the wise men say, we can't do it. Only the gods can do it and the gods aren't here. So they're basically saying, our gods that are fake anyway, they can't even help us. But Daniel says, I got it. He says, make a time with the king. I'm going to go. I'm going to tell him what the dream means. So he goes back and he tells his three friends and they start praying, asking God to tell them what this dream is and what this dream means. And God shows up and God reveals it to Daniel. And we are finally getting to the point where we see what the actual dream is. And Micah read that for us. Basically, I, I, had, it, I had this big picture of this statue that I was going to show you guys and, and these maps that I was going to show you. But We got no screen, so we'll just talk through it. So, the king dreams this statue. And the statue, do you remember what the the head was made out of? Gold. The head is made out of gold. What about the chest and arms? Torso and thighs. Legs. Feet. That's a weird looking statue. Have y'all ever seen a statue that's like that? That's got like five different things going through it? No, you, you have something that looks nice. So we know this statue means something. If it's looking that weird, there's something going on. God is doing something. In fact, I I encourage you, when you go home tonight, don't do it right now, but when you go home tonight, get on your phone, Google an image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream or Nebuchadnezzar's dream, statue, whatever you want to call it, and you'll see all these images pop up of this this really buff guy with a beard and a hat on and and this little, I guess it's called a tunic, skirt, I don't know what it's called, Um, but he's got just that. It's gold, silver, bronze and and it keeps going down what's that it's very are you doing it right now it's creepy looking isn't it I man I really wanted to show you all that but then to top that off you've got this stone this this rock that scripture tells us comes flying in it hits the statue in the feet shatters the statue and the entire statue just it's gone says like, like, the, like the chafe. It's like when they separate chafe from the wheat. If you don't know what that is, when you've got wheat, you've got the parts of the wheat that you can't eat. That's the chafe. You've got the grain that you actually do eat. So when they would have a threshing floor, they would take all of that together and they would mix it up and they would throw it up in the air. And the wheat, the part that you wanted to keep, the grain would come back down and the chafe would get caught by the wind and just blow away. So it's just gone. And that's exactly what Daniel says this dream means, or is happening in this dream, is that this statue, it's crumbled, and it's hit so hard and pulverized that it's like the chafe. It's just gone. But this rock, this stone stays, and it says, 
it grows. It grows into a giant mountain and fills the entire earth. There's some crazy stuff going on in this dream. And the amazing thing is, is when Daniel gets to the end of describing this dream, what does the king say? No. What's he say? Somebody just said it. Nothing. The king says absolutely nothing. Now remember, this is the guy that rules the entire kingdom. This is the guy that put out the order to kill all the wise men because nobody could tell him what the dream was. This is the guy who right now is silent. So what that tells us very quickly is that Daniel's on the right track. Daniel has told this king exactly what he has dreamed. God is working through Daniel, and we see that as God does that, Daniel consistently points everyone back to God. Daniel consistently says, I'm going to tell you the dream, but I'm not the one telling you the dream. God is the one that's going to tell you the dream. In fact, right there at the end of that, um, that passage that Micah read for us, it says right there in verse uh, 37, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. Even in telling the king, hey, this is your part of the statue. This is who you are. This is what Babylon represents. By the way, you're in that position because of God. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of how great you are. It's not because of your amazing leadership skills. It's because of who God is. Daniel's bold here. We talked week one about the resolve, or week two about the resolve that Daniel had. Daniel still has that resolve, and he's going to continue to have that resolve as we walk through this entire book, and he's proving it here again and again. It says right there that, that, that uh, the king of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, they are represented by the golden head, which is appropriate because if you've ever studied history, how many of you like really like history? How many of you don't care if you ever take another history class in your life? Okay, I was just curious. So if you study history, you'll find out that the Babylonian empire, it was a wealthy empire. They, they were known for, for their wealth and, and for kind of their extravagance. And, and he's saying, king, you have this. You have this power, this influence, this extravagance. You have this large kingdom because of who God is. Because remember this, God is the one who sets up kingdoms. God is the one who sets up rulers. You skip to the New Testament, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's a great reminder that God is sovereign, that God is in control. No matter who's in power, no matter who's ruling, God is the one who controls the rise and the fall of kingdoms and governments and presidents and every other authority that you will ever encounter in your life. You know why? Because God is sovereign. Time to take a break. God is sovereign. God is in control of all of that. And that is exactly what Daniel is pointing this king to. And now, now we get into what does this dream actually mean? Verse 39. He's already told Nebuchadnezzar, hey, you're the head of gold. That's you. But then he goes on in verse 39. He says, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. 
And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. Now this is the part of prophecy that we see in Daniel's time, that now we can look at history and see this is exactly what played out. It's prophecy for them, it's history for us. Babylon, we already learned, that's the head of gold. Babylon, if you go back and look at history, that kingdom was in power. I want to make sure I get these dates not mixed up because I will. They were in power from around 625 B.C. until about 539 B.C. So Babylon wasn't in power. It was less than 100 years that they were in power. But while they were in power, they were the largest empire on the planet at that time of the known world. But then they fall. And the next kingdom rises up. It talks about this kingdom of silver. That's what we know as the Medo-Persians. If you're taking notes, M-E-D-O-P-E-R-S-I-A-N-S. The Medo-Persians. People you've probably not really heard of before, have you? But the Medo-Persians, their empire lasted from 539 B.C. until about 331 B.C. So you're looking at right around 200 years that their kingdom was in power. Now, their kingdom wasn't quite as strong as the Babylonians. But it did get a little bit bigger. And this is where I wish I had a screen because, man, I had maps for every one of these kingdoms. And as you look at it, and again, you can go Google these. If you look at it, you've got the Babylonian Empire, which is about this big. And then you've got the Medo-Persian Empire that is this big. And then the next one is the reign of the Greek Empire, which gets a little bigger. And then you've got, y'all heard of a little place called Rome before? You got the Roman Empire. That's, that's what we watch movies about. The gladiators and Rome taking over. Caesar, all those guys. Every one of those kingdoms, as they take over, the kingdom gets bigger and bigger and bigger. These are the world powers of their day. That third kingdom, the one that's represented by bronze, that's the Greek Empire. They ruled from 331 B.C. to 63 B.C. So a long time. And then the last one, the Iron Legs, the Roman Empire, that was in power from around 63 B.C. until 476 A.D., the longest one yet. See, we can look at this prophecy and see gold, silver, bronze, iron, but when we compare it to history, we see what actually played out in humanity. And that's incredible. Guys, that reassures us that Scripture's not just a whole bunch of stories that somebody sat down and made stuff up that doesn't really apply to us today. We can look at what Scripture says and we can actually see it play out in the history of humanity. You know why? Because God is sovereign. Because God is the one that created all of this. Because God is the one that is in control of all of this. There are some people that believe that God created everything, set the universe in motion, and then took his hands off. But that is not what Scripture tells us. That is not what Scripture shows us. But now we get into the part of prophecy where you have to be careful. The part that scholars don't necessarily agree on. And it's this part about the toes and the feet. It says in verse 41, And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. 
but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. So there's some scholars who will tell you that the, the clay and the iron, this part of the, the feet and the toes, this represents Rome in its latter days. When, when you had conflicts between the, um, the aristocratic party and the, uh, the popular party in the Roman Empire. Basically, the people who were wealthy and the people who were poor. That you had conflict there. There's some scholars that believe that. There's other scholars that believe that the ten toes on the two feet, all the toes right there, the ten toes represent ten different European kingdoms. So there's a lot of different theories over what that represents. So we don't really know specifically what that is. That's why we have to look at prophecy and understand what we can walk away with and what we have to hold loosely because we may or may not be right. But at the end of the day, what we can know for certain is what the next verses mean. Look at verse 40, 44. It says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Here we find out what this stone is, what this stone means for the king's dream. For the second time, Daniel has talked about this stone and he's made one distinctive characteristic about it. What is it? He said it twice now. What is significant about this stone? It was not cut by human hand. God has done this. He's talked about all these other kingdoms. And all these other kingdoms are built around a leader and they're built around armies and they're built around people. And he said, now this stone comes in and man had nothing to do with it. That's significant. And in just a minute, we're going to see why. Because this stone comes in and it destroys everything that has come before it. It demolishes all kingdoms that have been in place. It says it crumbles to dust and blows away all of those things. Can anybody guess what this stone represents? Yeah, this is the time when the church answers the right answer. It's Jesus. Think about the birth of Jesus Christ. Was Joseph involved in that process for Mary to get pregnant? No. No human hand, no human person was involved in that. God is the one who immaculately had Mary have Jesus conceive and deliver Jesus Christ. That was God working. That was the Holy Spirit. That wasn't humanity. That wasn't man. That was Christ stepping into humanity, not because we deserve it, not because we're good enough or we should have it, but because God wanted us. Because there's nothing we can do on our own to deserve Jesus Christ absolutely nothing. It's Jesus who is the stone. And over and over again in scripture, you will find verses that talk about Jesus that way. In fact, there's one in the Old Testament. It's Psalm 118 verses 21 and 22. It says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's talking about Jesus Christ. 
When Jesus came in, it was the religious leaders. It was the ones who knew the Old Testament scriptures. It was the ones who knew what the law said, who said, this is what you do to be right with God. They're the ones who said, Jesus, you're not the guy. And scripture tells us right there that now Jesus is the center of everything. Jesus is that stone. In fact, in the New Testament, that verse, that Psalm 118.22 gets referenced in Matthew 21.42, Mark 12.10, Luke 20.17, Acts 4.11, and 1 Peter 2.7. Jesus is the stone that comes in and changes everything. And the amazing thing is, he didn't come in as the kingdom in place. The Israelites thought Jesus was going to come in as a conquering king. That he was going to come in and he was going to be this, this military leader and he was going to lead them as an army and they were going to wipe out the Romans and they were going to take over the known world. And that is not at all what happened. Jesus came into the world as a baby. Human flesh, like you and me. And sometimes we, we, we miss the significance of that because we think, oh, it was Jesus. He's God. He's got no problems. No, he cried. He was hungry. He needed his diaper changed. He had all of the needs that you had as an infant, all of the needs that you've had in elementary and middle school and high school and will for the rest of your life. Jesus came as the stone. And when Jesus came, he started something significant. In fact, there's one point in the New Testament where he's talking to people and he, says, he tells them, he says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Because he's saying, I'm here. I'm what you've been waiting for. And it's the same kingdom of God that the stone is here where it comes in and it demolishes everything before it and then it begins to grow and grow until it covers everything. Because that's what Jesus does, this stone. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, scripture tells us that you become a new creation that the things you were pursuing, the things that you thought were going to make you happy, those aren't what your life is focused on anymore. Now you're focused on Jesus Christ and that relationship that you have with him begins to grow and it grows inside of you. And it does that in the life of every believer who has ever put their faith or ever will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing. No matter how many times other people have tried to wipe out Christianity have persecuted Christians, have sought them, have killed them, have put them in jail, have done everything they can to get rid of this whole Jesus thing. Every time that has happened, the belief in Jesus Christ has flourished. And it's grown. And it wipes out everything else. That's what we see here. And that continues to grow in the hearts of believers all over the world. It always has and it always will because Jesus is the cornerstone on which all of creation exists. We see that in Colossians chapter 3. It's verses uh, 15 through 23. We won't, we won't read through all of those. But that's where it talks about the preeminence of Christ in all of creation and how all things were created by him, through him, and for him. And he holds all things together. Because he is the stone that comes and destroys everything else that you would pursue with your life. And grows in your heart and grows in your life until there's nothing else. And there's going to be a day when he's going to come back earthly to where we are. 
And that's gonna happen physically. We're talking about what's happening internally right now. He's also talking about what's gonna happen physically. That's the already not yet kingdom. Christ has already come. Christ has already given us the chance to have a relationship with him, but it's not there yet because that kingdom of God is coming again. That's a hard theological concept to wrap our minds around, but that's what we're talking about here in scripture. And look at what happens when King Nebuchadnezzar learns all of this in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. <laughs> the king treats Daniel like a god or or at least like a representative of the God that Daniel serves. Daniel's rewarded because the king keeps his word. If you remember, the king said, hey, if you can, if you can tell me what this dream is and you can tell me what this dream means, you're going to be happy because I'm going to take care of you. And that's exactly what he does here. Daniel is rewarded. He's made chief of all the wise men in Babylon. And now he's in a position, don't miss this, he's in a position because of what God has done to influence not only the king, but all of his peers and everyone under him. Simply because he chose to honor God. And it started with the small choice. No, king, I'm not going to eat that food. And because he does that, God honors his choice and God works in him and God works through him and God puts him in a position of power and influence where someone <laughs> who believes in the one true God is now over all of these people in a kingdom that does nothing but worship false gods. Tell me God's not sovereign. Tell me that a young man stolen from his home and everything he knows is wiped away, that God can't work through his life and put him in a position to influence an entire culture with the gospel. That's what God's done here because God is sovereign and that's a great reminder for us because it doesn't matter what your situation is or how bleak it looks, God is in control. And God can use you in whatever position, whatever situation you find yourself in. Daniel has just told the king, your kingdom's gonna end. And there's gonna be four others that come behind you and those kingdoms are going to end. In the reign of an evil king, God is glorified. And that's what he says. He says it right there. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. This passage is amazing because we can see prophecy. We can see the things that were revealed to Daniel hundreds of years before they happened in this scripture and then we can look at history and see that it actually played out that way. You talk about a look at God moment. But the really amazing thing here that I don't want us to miss is that God chose to reveal himself to a king that didn't believe in him and did not follow him. 
a king that was following wise men and other gods. And yet God used Daniel to reveal himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. You talk about a picture of the gospel. That God would come to someone that doesn't know him, doesn't pursue him, doesn't love him, doesn't even really want him. And he would say, I'm here for you. That is exactly what we see here. God revealing himself to an undeserving sinful king the way he has revealed to himself to an undeserving sinful humanity. Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The people that don't love him. In fact, scripture tells us before we know him, the people whose minds are set against him. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, right here, came to every single person that would put their faith and trust in him and said, I want you. I'm here because you can't fix your sin problem. I'm taking action because there is absolutely nothing you can do to help yourself. That's what God did when Jesus stepped into humanity. He's calling every single one of us to turn from all of those things in our lives that dishonor him, that stop us from pursuing the holiness that he's created us for. He's calling every one of us turn from that and follow him. That is a picture of the gospel. That is why Jesus Christ died on a cross. Not because any one of us deserved it. Because none of us do. Scripture tells us we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. And yet Scripture tells us that Christ died for us. Gave his life on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin. So that we could know that love and grace and mercy that he offers us. And so that we can learn how to live a life that honors him, the life that he's created us for. God came to a king that wanted nothing to do with God. And God has come to a people that want nothing to do with him. That's you and me. And, and you may be here tonight and, and maybe like King Nebuchadnezzar, maybe not through a dream, but maybe God's revealing himself to you. Maybe God's talking to you. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. Maybe the things that you're going through in your life right now, it's not just because God wants you to say, oh, woe is me, this is horrible. Maybe it's because God wants you to say, I can't handle this. I need somebody that can. Maybe God is revealing himself to you tonight, calling you to trust in him, to be forgiven by him. And those things that you're chasing, like all of those other kingdoms, to fill that hole, to fill that void, to make you feel complete, those things are going to be crushed. They're not going to last. The only thing that lasts is Jesus, the stone. Because those relationships, that popularity, that wealth, every one of those things are temporary kingdoms that fall in the presence of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and God's talking to you. And he says, hey, it's time to pursue me instead of everything else. 
Maybe tonight is your night, your moment to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to put your faith and trust in him. Maybe you're here tonight and you've already made that choice, but unlike Daniel, you're not living in obedience. You're not taking the advantage. You're not taking the opportunities to honor God when you know to honor God. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and I'm gonna call some people out right now. You've spent the entire time scrolling on your phone. And you've not heard one single thing that was said tonight. Maybe God's trying to get a hold of your mind and your heart and your ears and your eyes and call you to a life of obedience. For some of you in here, you've never taken that first step of obedience. You've said, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but I've never proclaimed it before people. I've never been baptized. I've never told people that I'm following him. Maybe that's your step of obedience tonight. And some of the folks in this room, you've watched them over the last couple weeks, they've taken that step. We've got another one that's going to take that step this coming Sunday, and two more, they're going to take the next, that same step the next two weeks to be obedient. What is God calling you to do tonight? Is he calling you to put your faith and trust in him? Do it. Stop chasing the other things. Stop going after the other kingdoms that are just going to crumble and blow away. Grab onto the thing that's going to last. Is God calling you to be obedient? Do it. Start following him. Start honoring him. Do what he's calling you to do and watch how God works in your life. He did amazing things in Daniel's life. You'll be amazed at what he does in yours. In a minute, we're going to pray. And we're going to sing. You've got prayer cards in your chair when you came in. If there's something you just need one of the leaders to pray for you for, please write it down, drop it in that basket, and maybe take a minute and just talk to God. But if you're here tonight and God's calling you to take one of those steps, put your faith and trust in him, live in obedience to him, maybe that step of baptism, I want to encourage you, come see me or one of the other adults because we want to pray with you and we want to celebrate with you what God's doing in your life. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be scared of. When God works in your life, that's something to celebrate. And we want to do that with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can come together. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, and and the fact that we can look at stuff like this that on the surface may not make a whole lot of sense to us. But God, you show us that everything in scripture is pointing to your son. And your son is calling us into a relationship with you. God, I pray for every single person in this room tonight, whatever that step is you're calling them to take, however you're revealing yourself, God, I pray that you will give each person in here the boldness to have the confidence that the kingdom of God will only continue to grow in their life as they pursue you. God, that it's only going to continue to grow in this world until the day when you come back and that's all there is. God, help us to pursue that. Help us to trust in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.